Okay, so many of you know my name's Eric. I'm the lead pastor here at Alpine Church in Riverdale. And we are in this series called Expecting Jesus. And we started it last week. What we're doing is we're looking at the times when uh, people were literally expecting Jesus. You know, and I've had baby on my mind for the last year or so because many of you know we had a baby uh, eight, eight months ago. His name is Aaron, and I talk about him often. Um, but so when we came to this series, I thought, man, we've never done a series on looking at Jesus in the womb. I mean, we've, have we ever really looked at those stories and, and wanted to pull, uh, pull out of them? What is God trying to say through this? Is it just a, a narrative? Is it a, is it a fairy tale? Is it, is it just a story that's supposed to be uh, great before Jesus comes? And so what I believe is that the Bible is inspired by God and all parts of it are useful for teaching. And there is a reason why Jesus came to the earth in the way that he did. And so um, many people have been expecting Jesus for thousands of years to come and then he finally comes. Um, and the title kind of came from that book, What to Expect While Expecting. I think I saw that on my bookshelf, you know, while we were preparing for this. Um, I remember when my wife recently had, um, when we had our child before, I actually knew about it. It was a surprise, obviously. She says to me, um, we need to go to Crumble Cookie to celebrate. And I'm like, what are we celebrating? And she says, I'm pregnant. And I was like, no way, really? You know, I was, I was like, it was totally unexpected. And she didn't try as hard on that one as she did the the one before that, the one before that, it was my birthday, our, our uh, second youngest child. On my birthday, she gave me a present. I unwrapped it in front of all the family, and in it was a, uh, a pregnancy test that said uh, she was pregnant, right? And so I was very surprised. It was both were unexpected. I actually have four boys, and the way they all came about somehow were unexpected, even when we were trying uh, but that is what we're going to talk about today, expecting Jesus. We're going to look at the story of the unexpected pregnancy. Uh, just like everybody, it's usually a surprise when, when mama gets pregnant. Um, it was definitely a surprise to this young girl, Mary. Now, this is an interesting topic because in our day and age with all the skepticism and the secularism and the postmodern ideas of how the world came to be and if God really exists or not with atheists and agnostics out there um, looking at our faith or, or people of faith in general and constantly mocking us, this is one of the things that Christianity gets mocked for that we actually believe that Jesus Christ was born from a virgin, from the Virgin Mary. What that means is that she was never married, never had been with a man. Uh, kids, if you want to know more about that, ask your, your parents at home. But uh, we believe that Christ came from a virgin, okay? And, and that is impossible, right? Isn't that impossible? That doesn't happen. It takes two to tango. That's what they say, right? It takes two people, a man and a woman, to be able to create a child. That's how God created things. That was God's design for life. But it's no wonder that people don't believe this, right? People actually don't even believe uh, that God's design for, for marriage 
is something that needs to be respected or stuck to as well. And certainly in our culture, you know, many people out there in the world don't even believe that infants in the womb are worth uh, thinking about or worth protecting, okay? And so it's no wonder that the world doesn't believe what the Bible preaches and what the Bible says about Jesus and how he came about. You know, if we think about this doctrine of the virgin birth, it is an important one because some people think, oh, that doesn't matter. There's only a few things in the Bible that matter, and we're going to stick to those. But yet, I'm going to say that the virgin birth uh, hinges, uh, the, 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 the gospel hinges on the, the virgin birth, or at least is one of the doctrines that it hinges on. And it is very important. It's a major doctrine. As a matter of fact... Maybe you've heard of the, the Apostles' Creed. Uh, at least 150 years after you know, Christ uh, rose again and the church started, um, the church came together to, aff- to affirm this creed, and it was like the basics of the faith. What do we believe the Bible is saying about the person of Jesus and the gospel? And they included this. I'm not going to read the whole portion to you, but they included this part. It says, this is how it starts out. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of a virgin, Mary. All right? That is part of a Christian's faith. Maybe you're here today and you haven't quite ever looked into this before. Well, I hope that you uh, glean and and gain some knowledge and understanding around the, the birth of Christ. Maybe you've never looked at in depth the doctrine of the virgin birth and what actually happened. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at uh, Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 26, and we'll also look at the same story in the book of Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. So if you have a Bible and you want to flip back and forth to those, you can. I will have the scriptures on the screen, but I want to get right into this because along the way we're going to read through this story we're going to pull out some truths I believe God has for us in this. And my first point is this. It takes a divine messenger to help us understand the grace of God. We're going to look at the story of when the angel Gabriel actually came to Mary to tell her she was pregnant. She, they didn't have pregnancy tests back then. And so it took a divine messenger to come and help her understand what God was doing in her life. We'll pick it up in verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Now, I can't begin to, uh, to even like fathom or comprehend what it would feel like or look like to have an angel come to me, right? Think about that. First and foremost, we, we don't know exactly what they look like. Sometimes they look like men. Sometimes they look like, in other parts of the Bible, kind of, you know, scary creatures. And I don't know that Mary even knew. Maybe she was having some morning sickness. I don't know. Probably not, because it doesn't say that. We can only infer so much into the scripture, we don't want to go beyond the scripture. But out of nowhere, this angel appears to Mary and says, you are favored. You're favored by God. The Lord is with you. What is favor? 
Favor is God's grace. That is the definition of favor. Un, or un, unmerited favor is, is God's grace. And so in this story, as we look at this point here, I want you to understand that sometimes it takes a divine messenger for, for, for us to understand that God wants to favor us and to give us grace. She didn't earn this position that she was about to take, this role that she was about to be given. There wasn't something, the Bible doesn't say there was something about her that was special. It doesn't say that she was a a holy woman without sin. We know she was a human being who had sin. So purely by the grace of God, she is chosen by God to be the mother of the Son of God. And she doesn't quite understand it. For you and for me, I think sometimes this is a question that we ought to wrestle with. If you are a believer here today and you understand God's grace and love and mercy, do you uh, give yourself the credit for that? Do you say, well, I studied enough. I went to church enough. I asked all the right questions. I must have the right genetics because my brain is able to be smart enough and sharp enough to understand the gospel. Do you take all the credit? Or do you ever ask the question, why me? Why do I understand this and my family members don't? Why do I get to experience the grace of God, but yet other people hear this all the time and they're just not getting it? Sometimes in our pride, I think we think that we're humble. (laughs) We're humble enough to receive the message, but the other people aren't humble enough They're prideful. That's why they haven't received it. I would challenge you to give God more credit than that. Because God, as we look through the Bible, certainly has grace and favor that's unearned on people. And he comes to them, and he's got a job for them, and he uses them, and he chooses them. All right? And we see that in this story in particular. Let's go on in this message. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. I want to start with that first sentence. She's confused and disturbed. She doesn't quite get it yet. But the angel, the divine messenger, helps her understand a little bit more about the will of God. And it says that Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Now, I want to give her credit here, right? Now, I'm not saying that uh, human beings don't have the, the ability to think and ponder and respond on the word of God. She is actually thinking, and maybe she's even doubtful. And so for you, again, the application to this is, do you think and ponder on the word of God even when you don't understand it? Or, or are you or are people that you know dishonest in their doubts? You see, I think there's a difference in honest doubts and dishonest doubts. An honest doubting person would say, you know what? I'm not totally sure if I understand this. I'm not sure, totally sure if I believe this. But let me give it some effort to try to figure it out. Let me put myself in a place where I can hear some teaching, 
where I can go do some research on my own. That's honest doubt. A person who says, I don't know if I believe, but yet I want to figure it out and I'm going to keep trying to find answers until I understand. A dishonest doubter is someone who says, I don't believe that and I really don't care. I really don't care what it says. I'm not really going to do the research. At first glance, it just sounds a little bit out there, so I'm not really going to concern myself with thinking about the Word of God. I've met so many people, actually, that I've that I've come across over the years, at, you know, working at different jobs, sharing the gospel, talking about the Bible with people, and oftentimes I'll get hit with this answer, uh, I don't have enough time. I don't have enough time to think about that. I think about my, you know, day-to-day life, I got a lot going on. Ain't nobody got time for that, right? I got so much going on, I got to think about bills I got to pay, I got to think about getting to work on time, I got all the stresses of life, I don't have time to think about God or the afterlife. But yet we see in Mary's example that she ponders and she thinks. She, she wonders, what could this mean? Who is this son? Who is this son? And that's, that is something that we should ultimately be pondering is, who is Jesus Christ? We sang that song today, what child is this? That should be the question that everybody is asking this Christmas. What child is this? Who is Jesus Christ? And the angel lets her know who, who this son will be. His name will be Jesus. He will be son of the most high. He was, he's the Lord God. He's going to be the Messiah, the Savior, the one that everybody was expecting and waiting for. And even though this is unexpected, Mary, through you, the expected Savior is going to come. Now, as, as I close up this point a little bit, I just want you to think about, in your own life, how did you come to this conclusion that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, who is God in the flesh? Did you do it by reading on your own, or did it take a divine power, a divine messenger? And sometimes um, that can be someone in your life, like a preacher, a pastor, a small group leader, a friend, a family, a coworker, someone who's been a Christian longer than you, but someone who's shared this with you. Certainly the way that God has done it, angels aren't coming down and talking to people anymore. But God uses other messengers. That's what angel actually even means, by the way. The, name, or the word angel translated just means messenger. Sometimes you can be that angel to people because it does take a divine messenger to understand the grace of God. Would you be that to people in your your life this year, this week, today? So as we go on in the story, my next point is that a divine child requires a divine conception. As I said earlier, it takes a man and a woman to make a child, but yet not with this child. The only child in human history to ever come about without the man and woman coming together, the virgin birth, as I said before, it takes a, div- it takes a, a divine conception to conceive of a divine child. And let me just say this, for Jesus to be God in the flesh, the Son of God, he had to be sinless, okay? But if you know anything about Bible and Christianity and history, 
all human beings are fallen and sinful. So in the beginning, since Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve decided to go against God, the curse came upon them, and from every human being after that was passed down this curse of sin. The whole world has been affected by this curse of sin. All flesh is fallen. And so for the Messiah to come through a natural way would mean that he himself would be fallen human flesh. But that's not the way that God did it because that's not the way it would work. Let's go on in the story. Mary asked the angel, but how can this be? I am a virgin. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you so the baby to be born will be holy and he will be called the Son of God. Interestingly enough, as we talk about Genesis, the first couple of chapters of Genesis and going back to the fall, if we go back even before that and we answer this question, how can this be that a child would be able to come into a virgin, that a virgin could conceive? How can this be? Well, if you're a Christian here today, you believe that God does miracles, this is certainly a miracle. If you're a Christian here today, you believe that in Genesis chapter 1, it says that God spoke the whole world into existence. From nothing came something. There was nothing. The, our, another doctrine that we believe is that God created everything out of, out of nothing. He, he took what was formless and filled it with beauty and life. And that's the world in which God created the same thing is happening here in the womb of Mary. There was nothing there, and God takes out of nothing and puts beautiful life, the beautiful life of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so in order for this to be the Son of God, first it had to be miraculous, not natural, and secondly, it talks about him being holy. He could not have come from the husband Joseph who was to be. They had, the Bible makes, makes it clear that they had not been together. They had not consummated the marriage yet. Now, the, the funny thing is, is that this is unexpected, and, and she's shocked by it, but she would have known, or people would have known, that this has been prophesied about for probably even 700 years before, or, or thousands of years before, back in Genesis 3, but at least... 700 years before in the book of Isaiah, chapter 7, verse 14, says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and, is, and shall call his name Emmanuel. This is talking about Jesus. This is prophecy being fulfilled. God had decided to do it this way, and God does things in a particular way. We don't approach God flippantly. God has decided the way in which people come to him through faith. He's decided the way in which he would bring about his son, the way he would do creation, the way he would bring about redemption from sin. And that is what the Bible, the entire Bible, is all about. It's about God's story, and we need to believe it for what it says. If you're a Christian here today, we can believe it. God is certainly a miracle worker. And we believe in the miracles that he's done. And the greatest one is why we celebrate Christmas. That God decided to become a man. That's called the incarnation. 
He's taking on flesh, and it starts at the very conception inside Mary's womb. Now, God in his mercy, now, part of this story we got to look at and say, okay, what's going on with Joseph? Mary, Luke talks about Mary, okay, so we've handled a lot of the Luke verses, but now we're going to shift over a little bit to Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, and God is a gracious God, and so he says, even though Joseph isn't actually the, the paternal father, he's going to be the stepfather. He's going to be the earthly father. And as, if you were here last week, we talked through the genealogy, and a lot of the genealogy actually leads to Joseph and Mary. But Joseph is a little bit, un, he, this is an unexpected thing for him because the timeline is, is that he would have not been around when the angel first came to Mary. They were already engaged, but yet not fully consummated the marriage. And what happens is a couple months later, after, because what happens is she runs to go meet her, her cousin Elizabeth. That's what we read in, in Luke. And so she's gone for three months away from him. And then she comes back to be with her engaged or betrothed, is what the Bible says, and she's got a little baby bump going on. And he's like, what in the world? You've been gone three months. What's going on? You've cheated on me, basically. That's, this is the story of the Bible, by the way. And he's concerned about this. So let's pick up these verses, in, starting in verse 18. It says, this is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph, but before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid. Take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. So God, in his grace, doesn't forget about Joseph and says, we need to let him in on this thing. But Joseph, when he first sees her, he's, he's shocked. He's probably hurt. He's, his heart is broken. He thinks that she's cheated on him. And so, so as, a, as a noble man, he doesn't want to hurt her and cause her to have a bad um, public image, he figures out how to break the engagement quietly. Why would he want to break the engagement quietly? Not just because he was hurt, but because this would have ruined his social status. At that time, if um, people would have saw that she was pregnant before they were fully married, or uh, if they thought that she had cheated on him with something else, he would be the laughing stock of everyone. His social status, his his, his job, his career, he would have lost it all. And so Joseph has this tough decision he has to make. Am I going to play along with this, God? Am I going to follow you and trust you, even though this is a really hard thing for me to grasp? But God, in his grace, reveals to him the role that Joseph is about to play, too. He's going to be the father, and he's going to have to protect this child, and he's going to have to raise this child. And, and so it goes on to, to remind him, and she will have a son, 
And you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. He's going to be the Messiah. He's going to be the Savior. And so Joseph's like, okay, I get it now. I understand. It takes a divine, um, a divine miracle for a divine child to, to come about. A divine child requires this divine conception. Maybe you've never thought about the virgin birth at Christmas like this before. But let me just say one more thing before I move on to the next point. How does this help him? How does this help the Messiah save the world and save people from their sins? Well, the Bible tells us that Jesus had to be sinless in order to take on the sins of the world, in order to be the, the perfect sacrifice. In the Old Testament, all the sacrifices, uh, it's an imagery of a spotless lamb, a perfect sacrifice to take away the sins that would only last for a year in ancient Israel. Well, Jesus is the fulfillment of this perfect sacrifice that was going to take away the sins of the world. But if he came in the flesh through Joseph, he would have been inherited that sinful nature. But since he comes from God, he, he is God. He is both God and man, 100% God and 100% man. So why did God have to do it this way? Because it all kind of leads to Good Friday. The point of Christmas was Good Friday, that he would grow up and die on a cross. He would be the sacrifice for the sins of humanity. And 2 Corinthians puts it this way, For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we may be right with God through Christ. You see, God, the Son, the second member of the Trinity, always existed with the Father. Through him, the Bible says, everything that was created. John chapter 1 calls him the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. But then it said the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And the question is, why did God have to come and be a human being? Well, because God could not die. He's eternal. He's an eternal spirit. And so the only way that God could become the sacrifice for human sins is that he had to take on human flesh, flesh and blood, so that flesh could be broken and his blood could be spilt for you and me and that blood could take away our sins. And so this is the reason why God did it this way through a virgin Mary. And it goes on in Matthew. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Right there, it's saying that he is God. Jesus is God, and he is with us now in the flesh. And it's amazing to think about. The whole book of Hebrews actually deals with Jesus' sacrifice and why he became a man. It is so he could die to take away our sins. And so Jesus, although extraordinary as God becomes an ordinary man. But after a person understands then that this is the point of the virgin birth, then we, as we look at the story, we see a great example of accepting a call to serve this child, to serve this son of God. And that's my last point. Jesus gives a divine 
calling to ordinary people. Joseph and Mary were ordinary people. You know, Mary was probably about 14 at the time, most scholars believe. Now, don't think of that as negative. You know, in their culture, they got married a lot earlier. It's probably a good thing. You know, instead of, you know, in our culture, we grow up, we're independent, we go to school, we follow our career, and we get lost in sin, and then finally, hopefully, we can find a partner. If, if, if it were up to me, I'd, I would uh, encourage marriage early. Not that early, but certainly early, because for one, I think it's God's design. For two, it'll keep you out of trouble. <laughs> I remember when... I remember when I met my wife, you know, I was, I was like an independent, prideful, you know, egotistical jerk who still was saved by the grace of God and loved Jesus, but I had a lot of growing up to do. And so the way in which God decided to grow me first and foremost is, here's a wife. Here, take, she's gonna, she's gonna, she's gonna, you know, she's gonna be your number one accountability partner. She's gonna be the second Holy Spirit to convict you when you're doing wrong things. <laughs> That's a little joke that we have um, as pastors. But she, she's going to be your partner. She's going to, you know, help you grow quicker. She's the number one example on how you're going to love other people, fill, fulfill the second commandment. Love God's the first. The second is love other people. If you can't learn to love the first person that's closest to you, how, you, how will you do it with the rest of the world? So that's just a little rant that I've gone off topic about marriage. Um, but to say that Joseph and Mary were just regular, ordinary people, he has a career, she's young, they're thinking about getting married, and God out of nowhere decides, I'm going to use these people, although it had been planned. Certainly this was an unexpected pregnancy, but it was not unplanned. This was not an unplanned parenthood. This was a planned parenthood from God, from the beginning. But they, they have this conundrum they have to deal with. Wouldn't that be scary? You know, like you've got this, this call from God that you've got to protect God the Son, and you've got to raise him up, make sure he doesn't die. You know, two, uh, uh, the, the two years after Jesus was born, uh, King Herod sent out a decree to kill all children two years and, and younger because he was worried about this son was the son of the Most High who is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords was going to come and usurp his authority. And so Joseph and Mary, run. They, they, they go to Egypt. They're like, they're having to protect the Son of God because Satan ultimately is after this boy wanting to kill him. This is a big job. This is a big calling. Well, I'm here to, to tell you today I think that Christians also have a similar big role to play in this life. We're called as ordinary people to serve Jesus, to protect his name, to protect his identity, to fight, to, to, to give up our lives, and to die to serve the Son of God. And we see through their example um, how to respond to the Lord in faith to this call. Matthew 1.24, when Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded, and he took Mary as his wife. In the face of being ridiculed, of losing his career, of being made fun of, of being outcasted from society, he didn't care what people thought. 
He said, I'm going to do what the will of the Lord is. I am going to follow Jesus. I'm going to serve him. I'm going to protect him. And it doesn't matter if they persecute me, if I've got to protect this child, and if it takes my, my life, I'm going to do it. Mary, in the same way, she says, for the word of God will never fail. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. So for us today, I think we don't have the job and role of raising Jesus Christ. But we do have the spirit of God in us if you are a believer here today. We all have God and we are carrying him with us everywhere we go. And we certainly have a job to represent Jesus in the world. That is the, the, the meaning of the word Christian is little Christ. You're a billboard for Jesus everywhere you go. We have this job, this calling to go and make Jesus famous. To glorify him with our lives. The big idea of there's a calling in everybody's life, every believer's life, to preserve and serve Jesus' legacy. When he left, he said, all authority's been given to me, but I'm leaving, so go and make disciples, baptize them, teach them, teach them to obey all that I've commanded. I will be with you always. That's what he was talking about. The spirit of Christ rests in all believers. I'll be with you to the end of the age. And so he's called all of us to now go make disciples, protect and serve Jesus, his legacy, his identity, and his gospel message. I hope that today's story will inspire you to put yourself into this Christmas story this year. And although this thing happened in history 2,000 years ago, which is true and is a staple to the faith, there's also another thing about the Christian faith. It's that we're not called to just sit around and, and consume, but we're called to go and to give. So would you do that? Would you join in this call from the Lord Jesus Christ to us today? If you're, not, if you're here today and you're not a believer and you're in this place where Mary was, you're wondering, you're pondering, you're thinking about this stuff, I would challenge you, be honest in your doubts and go try to find the answers about who this son is. Who is Jesus Christ? It's the most important question you will ever answer in your entire life. And if you get it right, there's eternal life for you. You can trust in him today. You don't have to have all the information. You just need to believe that this is the divine son of God, God in the flesh, who grew up to die on the cross for your sins. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. I'm always amazed as we Look into your word and see all that you have for us. The Bible says the angels long to look in it. They're, they're, they're mesmerized at, at your gospel message, the, the redemption of humanity. Let us not take these subjects and topics lightly. I pray that you're glorified today through the preaching of your word. I pray that people would remember, they would be able to share this with people who have questions. Put people in front of us, Lord so that we can make you famous. God, and if it brings about persecution, if it brings about trials, if it brings about mocking and ridicule, Father, let us be strong enough to deal with that. But we won't waver. 
on the truths of your, your word, God, about who this son, Jesus Christ, is. He is God in the flesh who came to save us. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.